Isaiah 53 offers um, a very familiar prophecy of, of Christ that's, that's often read at Christmas or Easter time, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was, trans- and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would give us a true spiritual meal that we would be fed in our inner being, that we would know your love, that we would know our Savior, and that we would grow in our devotion to him. In Christ's name, amen. A week ago, my 10-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, and I uh, went to a Rockets basketball game. It's my first Houston Rockets basketball game to go to. Her dance group uh, performed the the pregame entertainment, all like a minute and 30 seconds of, of their dance. It was, it was really fast. Um, now my expectations, uh, going to this game, they were pretty low for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I, I'm not a big basketball fan in general. I don't really like watching basketball on TV. 
um, other than a basketball tournament, a three-on-three tournament, a band camp back in high school. That's I haven't played uh, any basketball. And the the Houston Rockets, uh, you know, you, you may know this. They're 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 not really high in the standings. Um, they're one of the last place teams in their conference, and they were playing a week ago the Milwaukee Bucks, which is one of the highest teams in their conference. So my expectations uh, were were pretty low. And early into the game, the Rockets were down ten to two. Meh, you know. Um, but, but an interesting thing happened. They, the Rockets started coming back and they actually wound up winning the game. Um, and it, it was interesting, uh, seeing how that, the, the, the performance of the Rockets and how they came back kind of turned us all around in the stands. All of a sudden we were yelling like crazy and Jalen Green was just flying over the court and slamming down dunks. And I mean, it was, it was awesome. Um, a complete turnaround in, in the crowd. And I was thinking about that. Why is that? Well, because everyone likes a winner. Everyone likes their home team to win. We like to win. A few days ago, another Elizabeth story. Um, I needed Elizabeth to help out with a chore. And Elizabeth, come here. Well, she's sitting on the couch, and she's playing a, a video game on her, her Switch. And uh, this is what she said. She said, Dad, just a second, Dad. Now, that's not unusual, right? Just a second, Dad. But then she said, I'm so close to winning. Just a second. I'm so close to winning. Now, maybe you can relate a bit with those two stories. Or maybe you could tell your own stories of being energized by winning. Maybe a recent game night or family game night may come to mind when one of your family members or friends, after losing the game, grabs all the pieces and throws them across the room or something like that. We we like winners and we like winning. And I don't think that things have changed much in 2,000 years. So we've been looking at this song that Mary sings in response to what God is doing in her life by having the Messiah um, grow in her womb and giving her the opportunity to give birth to the Messiah. And um, one of the things that she does is she celebrates in this song. She celebrates big in this in this song, in fact, I, I want to review just a little bit, a, list, a few of the things that she lists in this song. So Luke chapter 1 is where we find this song. You can flip over to, to Luke, and I'm going to focus on verses 49 through 55, just pulling out a few of these things that, that Mary sings. The Mighty One has done great things for me. See, he has brought down rulers from their throne, but, but what has he done? He's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. God's doing great things. Be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever and ever. And so along with with Mary, many Jews would have been celebrating these things as well with the, the coming of this Messiah that is promised. 
And they were expecting a, a true winner, a true winner to come and to save them. God's chosen man coming to rescue God's chosen people, someone who would pick up a sword and, and fight the Romans that were oppressing them. So that one day soon, they could all put down their swords and rest and live in peace. And they knew that if the Messiah wins, then the Jewish nation would win as well. So with this child in her womb, you might expect Mary and and any Jew who knew uh, the identity of this child, the Messiah, we would expect them to think, okay, Jesus, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's take it to the Romans. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go out and win. But very early in Jesus' life, Mary was given a sign that the Messiah that she had given birth to might not completely act the part of a winner. And when Jesus was eight days old, um, as was custom, uh, his mom and and, and earthly dad, uh, Joseph, took Jesus to the temple um, to be circumcised. And um, and. While they're at the temple, they met a, a, a prophet, this old man named Simeon in the temple. And Simeon, we talked about Simeon a few weeks ago. He took hold of Jesus. And this is, this is what he said. And listen to how he says something that reveals he might not quite act the part of a winner. This is what he said. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many, not not falling of many in Rome, but falling in, in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. Now, when we look back on the prophecy, we know exactly how that sword will, will pierce her soul, as one day she'll see her son hanging on the cross. But right now, Simeon points out to Mary, yeah, this this will be painful for you. People will speak out against your son. You will get hurt, and it will be like a sword cutting into you. Now, this isn't language of winning, is it? Jesus was rejected in his life because he didn't act the part of a winner, at least as the Jewish people would expect him to, a winner to act. And if you think about Jesus, you could see why people might have thought that about him. Um, you know, think about some of the things that, that he, he said. He said things that didn't scream winning. Things like, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Remember when Jesus said that? It's not necessarily a winning statement, right? Anyone who wants to be great among you must be Jesus said, a servant. That doesn't seem like a winning statement. Anyone who wants to save his life must lose it, must lose. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's just the stuff that he said. And then there's the stuff that he did. I mean, he hung out with people that everyone else was rejecting. He he hung out with the losers. He hung out that nobody else was hanging out with. He ate with the social rejects of his day. He was the one who loved the unlovable 
around him when nobody else was. And Jesus himself had very few possessions. In fact, he claimed that that he had no place to, to lay his head as he traveled around and around and around. And so, uh, functionally, Jesus lived like a transitionally homeless person. And then there was his suffering, his death. He died a death reserved for scoundrels. And at his death, he had thousands of his countrymen shouting for his death. These are not actions of a typical winner, are they? So Simeon told Mary, a sword will peace your soul as well. Well, we can see why. And so this morning we have to think, why, why, would, why would anyone want to follow this man? And you may have decided some time ago to, to follow Jesus. Why would anyone want to follow this man? You may be here this morning not having made that decision. And as you listen so far to the sermon, you might be thinking, I don't know if I want to follow this man, Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, if you're a Christian, how is following Jesus worth it? It's because... The type of win that Jesus came to give us is the most important win, but it's not the one that people were necessarily looking for in Jesus' day. So I want to look at our Isaiah scripture. I want want to turn to verse 5. We're going to look at verse 5 and verse 6 about this important win, the most important win that Jesus gives us. Verse 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. The, The best win, the most important win, is having this this peace. And what is that peace that is promised there? Well, it's the peace that only God, and only God Himself making a tremendous sacrifice, could provide, and that is our peace with Him. Our peace with God. But that peace with God could only be secured through punishment, and that is punishment that the Messiah that was born to Mary would suffer. And then the next verse elaborates on all of this. So look at verse 6, and I want to point out the two alls. It's been pointed out by others. You need to really pay attention to the two alls that bookend this verse. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned on our own, to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there's not a person on the planet who has lived a life right on track, just how the Lord would want us to live. All are like sheep. All have gone astray on their own. And so Jesus has come to be that shepherd that we need. But not just that, on him has been laid the iniquity, the sins of us all. So Jesus came to suffer, not just to shepherd, but also to suffer. And why did he suffer? Well, it wasn't because of 
any of his sins. He didn't have any sins. Remember, he was the one who didn't seek out any personal gain in his his life. He was the one that never put himself above or in front of others, but he served others. Jesus was the one who served perfectly the will of God. So he suffered for our sins, not, not his sins, because he didn't commit any sins. So I want you to notice the two ways that Jesus' suffering for our sins is complete. First, there is complete necessity for him to suffer for our sins. So you may not be convinced of this because we all like winners. And it's difficult sometimes to look in the mirror and say, Christ, if you're a Christian, say, Christ is my Savior. I need him to save me from my sins. Sometimes it's hard to admit that. It's hard to admit that we have chosen to put ourselves above God and how we live. And there are things that I pursue that God would not have me pursue with near the rigor that I, that I do. Sometimes it's hard to admit that about ourselves. And then there's the way that, that I relate to others with jealousy and indifference and, and hatred. Sometimes superiority, sometimes it's hard to admit that, looking in the mirror of ourselves. But there's the complete necessity of Jesus suffering for our sins, and then there's the complete acceptance when Jesus suffers for our sins. See, on Christ, verse 6 ends, was laid the iniquity of us all, of us all. And that means that Jesus doesn't turn anyone away who comes to him. Jesus doesn't chastise anyone who comes for forgiveness either. Jesus doesn't say, okay, yeah, 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 I'll forgive you. But you need to know that that was a pretty rotten thing that you, that you have done. Jesus doesn't chastise us when we come to him for forgiveness. And that can be hard to believe as well. So let me put it in one more way. Jesus doesn't pull us on the cross with him. He doesn't. Jesus doesn't say, listen, I, I'm, I'm suffering for your sins, and that one sin of yours is so bad, it's got to hurt you a little bit. And so you got to at least give me a hand. Come here, and put a nail through that hand of yours. Jesus doesn't pull us on the cross with him. No, all your sins, your worst sins were put on Jesus, and on Jesus alone. And do you know that there are sins of yours that you tell no one about? Of course you know that. There are, there are sins that in my life that only I know about. And that's true for every single person. Do you know that Jesus died for those sins too? The sins that we are too embarrassed to admit the sins that we feel like oh, others would just be shocked if they were to hear about, or that others wouldn't accept us if they were to know about those sins. Those sins that we don't tell anyone about, Jesus died for those sins too. Do you know that when you humble yourself before Jesus, even that, that worst sin that you have in mind, he says, I have died for that sin, 
and I never think about it. See, the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more. He doesn't think about them, even though we might think about them. Jesus says, I don't even think about even that worst sin that you're afraid to tell anyone about. As in the church is the society of scandalous sinners. We're all a scandalous sinner. The church is the society of scandalous sinners who are saved and set free of shame. And on the cross, Jesus lost. He lost his life, of course. He lost his, his honor, his reputation. For a brief moment, he lost his intimacy with God. He, he lost so that you could have the big win. That is having real peace, real peace with God. And I was struck as we were reading the, listening to the Advent lighting and hearing from Isaiah 9, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Listen, do you have real peace in your life? Jesus is the Prince of that peace. He wants you to have real peace today. So have you felt the freedom of having your sins just wiped clean? You can have that freedom today if you haven't felt it. But here's the deal. Jesus comes to suffer for us, to die for us, but not in the way that the, the, the plumber comes to fix your piping problem. Jesus doesn't come in and fix the problem and just say, all right, see you later, see you next time. No, Jesus came to suffer for us and die for us so that he could never leave you, but rather he could live in you. And you can think about Mary carrying the the Savior in her womb and then letting his life come out for the world. And we have a similar opportunity as Jesus says, I want to live in you. So we have the similar opportunity to, to, to carry Jesus, his presence, in us and let his, his life come out of us as well. And when we do that, there are some reversals that happen in us, reversals of our attitudes and our values that I think Isaiah 53 mentions. And so I want to mention three of these reversals that I think we see in our Isaiah, Isaiah passage that Jesus wants to bring about on our insides. One, Jesus reverses our value of power. So verse 1 of our texts asks, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And this is a metaphor, the arm of the Lord. That's a metaphor for God's strength and power. Well, who is the arm of the Lord? Well, that's the Messiah. That's Jesus. That's Christ that Isaiah is revealing. But notice how Isaiah reveals the Messiah is not the conquering hero, but rather he's the suffering servant. That's how the Messiah is described in this passage. He's he's the one who comes humbly and walks humbly. And if you follow Jesus, you have to realize that Jesus did not come and is not living inside of you so that you could conquer others. And that's what many Jewish people of the day wished, to conquer and for Jesus to conquer those that were oppressing him. Now, Jesus came for us to conquer, yes, conquer our sinful habits, yes, 
not to conquer others. So one thing that this urges us to do is to see others as people to serve instead of as people to conquer. One of the reversals that takes place with Jesus living inside of us. Two, we see in this that Jesus reverses our value of demand. We live in an increasing on-demand culture, don't we? We expect delays to be shorter and shorter and shorter. And we live in the land of discontent when we don't have just the, the, the latest new thing, the latest upgrade. we got to get it. And we have a hard time waiting. And one of the reasons why I think we have a hard time waiting is because waiting isn't for winners, we see. It's like when you're driving in the parking lot, you see the empty parking space up there on your left, and then the other driver sees that same empty parking space on his right, and you see that other driver, and you're like, I'm going to win this one. And you fly and get into that space. Now, I find it amazing that this prophecy from Isaiah 53 it was written probably around 700 years B.C., around that time frame. It would be several hundred years before Jesus was born. People would have to wait. And here's the deal. God had no problem with them waiting. No problem whatsoever. And God has no problem in having us wait because he knows that waiting builds up our perseverance, it builds up our fortitude, it builds up our faith. So, what does this urge us to do? Be willing to wait patiently. And let me suggest that waiting patiently applies not just for circumstances, but also for people. That we wait patiently on people. And maybe we want them to be acting differently. Maybe we want them to demonstrate growth in their lives. The suffering servant reminds us to wait patiently. And three, this third reversal, Jesus reverses our value of winning. We often associate good news with winning. So much of life can be seen as a competition. With The good news comes to the people on top. And the world preaches, hey, you're, you're attractive. Good news to you. You got a promotion. Hey, that's great news. Great news for you. You made the team. Good news. You performed well enough to make the team. Good news. You're first in your class. Good news. Good news. And not that any of those things are are bad news. Not that they're not good news. There are good news. But Jesus, let's think about what Jesus did. He took on a plain, unimpressive appearance. And who did Jesus associate with? The losers in his day. Jesus preaches something different to the world. He says, good news for the sinners. Good news for the brokenhearted. Good news for the poor. Good news for those who are unimpressive to others. And Jesus isn't against rewards. Jesus isn't against goals. Jesus isn't against pursuing something with just all our might. He just says, go after the right prize. So this is what we're urged to do, to seek a different prize. Seek a different prize than what we often are seeking in life. 
Jesus invites us to see a much bigger view of ourselves. Life is not about achieving maximum comfort, maximum pleasure, earning maximum honors. It is about helping others to see the beauty of Christ and then helping others into a relationship with Christ. That's the prize. That's the prize. In a world that wants to win, I think there's only one way to be changed on our inside so that these reversals really do take place, and it's not just us forcing ourselves to try to believe those things. How do you really get changed on the inside? Well, look at verse 11 from Isaiah 53. After he was suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied, it says, of this Messiah. Did you know what the word satisfied means? It means being filled to the full, to the max. So when, when Jesus, when Jesus suffered on the cross. And this says he was satisfied. It doesn't mean that Jesus was satisfied like Inspector 12 is satisfied by a proper inspection of the product. Yep, that looks good. I'm satisfied with that. Yep, that looks good. I'm satisfied with that. Passes inspection. No, it means that he's filled to the top with joy and pleasure after he suffered on the cross. Now, what was his satisfaction? Some people might think, oh, his satisfaction was he finally was able to go back up to heaven with God. That's not his, he already had that already. His satisfaction was securing something for himself through his suffering. So look at the second half of verse 11. He will be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. See, Jesus' satisfaction, the thing that, that brings him complete joy, that satisfaction of his, it's you. It's you. Jesus is satisfied on the cross because he was able to secure you. He secured his church made up of all who trust Christ. And if that isn't you today, that can be you now. It can be you now. Once you know that Jesus had to die for you because of your sin, and he also had to die for you because of his joy over you. When you know that joy, that love of Christ for you, that is the ultimate win. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you are the suffering servant, but you are the Messiah, the Lord. You are the one who has purchased our lives for yourself, that we could be free from shame and regret over our sins so that we could remember them no more because you remember them no more. Lord, help us to live fully into um, who you have meant us to be, and that is your beloved, your church, that seeks after 
the lost and brings them into your salvation so that we can know your presence and your joy and your life. Lord, thank you. Help, help this to be true for us today, that we have received the gift of salvation and the gift of your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.